and welcome to Stories of Scotland, a podcast where we go to dark places in the night and search for ghosts. We're looking for folklore and history, not ghosts, Jenny. Oh, oh. well, this is going to be a long podcast, Annie. <laughs> Each week, I tirelessly dig through historic archives to find first-hand accounts of people's lives in Scotland, and Jenny tirelessly ruins them. Hey, I bring them to life, my lady. Oh, I'm Jenny. <laughs> and I'm Annie. <laughs> I'm just, you know, getting its character. <laughs> this episode, we're going away with the fairies to visit Tom the Hurick Hill in Inverness. Woo-hoo. We're looking at one of the most mythical of all places in not only Inverness, but in the whole of the Highlands of Scotland. We're going to go into some history that includes a 17th century racetrack, Ooh. Oliver Cromwell's lumberjack phase. Not his best phase. <laughs> fairies, giants, graves, and eternal life of trees. Mm. This is a hill of many stories, but also a hill of many names. Yes, this hill has been revered throughout the centuries, with each generation drawn to it by the stories of the last. Each myth brings new life to the steep-sided mound, and new names too. So what's your favourite name for this mysterious landmark in Inverness? Well, the first name that I stumbled upon was Hill of the Ewes. Ewes are common trees found in graveyards throughout Britain, and this hill happens to also be just that. Or... Hill of the Fairies because there's so many intriguing fairy stories about this place. Because of its hull-like shape, it's also been known as Hill of the Boat. Or the slightly less mystical Boat Mound. In an old article, I even saw it described as Noah's Ark. There are records suggesting that it was used as a site for carrying out justice and trials, so it has also been called Hill of the Courts. And it's an excellent viewpoint for defence, so it was called the Watch Hill as well. I also saw this in an old Ordnance Survey book that was called Watchman's Hill, and that was a direct Gaelic translation. However, someone had scribbled over this, said that it was a wrong translation, and that the the real Gaelic meaning was Hill of the Upside Down Bucket. Nice. And that's what Tom Nehurek means. Fantastic. Well, a local guy I know called it Tabletop Hill because it's flat like a table. I also saw a Victorian visitor book suggesting it was known as Hill of the Primroses. Alright, we could go on all day, but to most Indonesians nowadays, this mythical mound is known as Tom Nehurek Hill. So the modern day Tom Nehurek Hill is home to a graveyard situated in the northeast of Inverness. From the top, you get a splendid view of the city, the river and the canal. The hill itself is a wee oasis of trees and wildlife in the otherwise semi-urban landscape of Inverness. As urban as it gets. (laughs) (laughs) We'll start by having a wee think about Tomnahurik Hill long before the graveyard and even before the fairies. Yes, at 67 metres high and 500 metres long, this strange-shaped hill can be seen from all over the city. Now, to the untrained eye, it stands out and seems out of place. But fear not, Annie, for I've been training my eyes for this moment for years. So, Tom the Hurick is some special kind of geological form, then? Yes, Tom the Hurick Hill is an esker. Eskers are remnants of past glaciation. And for thousands of years during the last Great Ice Age, glaciers lay high above Inverness. Now, glaciers aren't solid blocks of ice. They are dynamic and full of movement. There are lots of holes and pockets and subglacial tunnels that run through them. Water flows through these tunnels, creating a river within or underneath the glacier. And like any river, 
These waters carry lots of sediments that have been eroded from the mountains, and these are deposited along the base of the tunnel. Okay, so that's why Tomnihuvich is so long and slender now, because it was once flowing through a tunnel within a glacier. That makes sense. Yes, exactly. So about 10,000 years ago, all the glaciers began to recede, and as they melted away, all the sediment that was being carried in them was left behind. The rocks that filled the long, sinuous tunnels remained long after the ice. And so today we see long, skinny ridges made of sand, silt, pebbles and boulders flowing over the flat coastal land and leading to the ocean. Oh, that's lovely, because from the top of Tomnihuvik you can see the Murray Firth, so it almost made it into the sea. Yes, it was that little esker that tried. <laughs> <laughs> so I've also found this quote written in 1790 by Welsh traveller Thomas Pennant which describes Tom the Huvik Hill. Would you like to read it, Jenny? Of course. The Tom Man is of an oblong form. Its sides are part of the neighbouring plains and are planted so that it is both an agreeable walk and a fine object. It is perfectly detached from any other hill, and if it were not for its great size, might pass for a work of art. The view from it is such that no traveller will think about his labour lost after gaining the summit. Beautiful, Jenny. Though I don't agree with your accent, I do agree that Tom the Huvik is a work of art. Thank you. (laughs) If you visit the hill today, you won't find any glaciers, but you will find graves. And there's some really fascinating gravestones on Tom the Huvik that we'll get into later. Anyway, here's the story of the people trying to establish a new graveyard in Inverness from the Inverness Courier on 24th of December, 1863. Jenny, can you be a cemetery startup in Venetian? Tom Nehurek Cemetery Company. The want of a new cemetery in Inverness has long been felt and, during the last eight or ten years, several schemes have been proposed for supplying the want, but without result. The committee at once proceeded to carry out their instructions the purchase of Tomnahurich Hill, a site which combines vicinity to Inverness with great natural advantages. The hill of Tomnahurich presents opportunities rarely to be met with and may unquestionably be made one of the most impressive cemeteries in this or any other country. So the graveyard was sold to Inverness Council by a distant landowner who had been a slave owner in the early Victorian period. The town quickly worked to set up Tomnihurich to be an appropriate place for burials of the dead. The hill is covered in a dense woodland of native and exotic trees. There are magnificent cedars as you walk down the main entrance drive and the hill has maple, oak, birch, beech, elder... Ah, but the tree that is most abundant in the forest is the yew tree. Some ancient, some young, they were all over it. Yes, there were especially lots of yew trees on top with all of the oldest graves. Why is that? Well, the yew tree is an ancient tree that is commonly found in graveyards and church grounds throughout the UK. There are a few different reasons and theories for this, but all of them reach back to ancient mythology and the development into modern spirituality. In mythology, the yew is the grandmother of all trees. Able to live for thousands of years, it is revered for its wisdom and persistence. Yew trees are able to put a branch down into the ground and have this branch form a root and therefore develop into a new trunk. Over the years, the old trunk may rot, but the tree lives on in the new stem. It's really amazing. 
Now this cycle of death and rebirth, reincarnation, immortality and the wisdom of old age are all embodied in the yew. And because of this, it has been planted for thousands of years at gathering sites considered sacred. The Druids, who were some of the first to live on the British Isles, planted yew trees in these places. And as Christianity took over, a lot of these spiritual sites just sort of evolved into church sites and the yews remained. And they've continued to be associated with churches and graveyards to this day. Unfortunately, though, the yew is highly toxic. And of the whole tree, the only bit that we can consume as humans is the fleshy part around the outside of the seed. And even still, when it is used, it's used for medicinal purposes. And back in the day, it was used to get your bowels moving. So really, the whole tree is pretty deadly and not to be messed with. So, you know, it's best just to leave them in the graveyards with the dead. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the yew trees in Tomnahurik were so old and knobbly looking, standing up tall on top of the hill like they were some kind of guardians of the graveyard. Yeah, they really were magnificent. So yew trees are also a favourite of fairies. And there are so many fairies flitting through the forests of Tomnahurich. Many tales of mischief and wonder are wrapped beautifully around this hill. Yes, but fairies can be somewhat ominous, you know. It's said that they like to live where the dead dwell. And when we went there for a walk the other day at dusk, I swear I saw at least a few fairies flitting about. Really? Because the only thing you pointed out to me was a really big badger hole. Okay, well, there were fairies in the badger hole, Annie, if you'd looked properly. But we also found footprints from badgers. Do fairies have badger feet? Well, no, but they like to ride their badgers around (laughs) the hill to save them from damaging their little dainty feet. (laughs) Save them from damaging their dainty feet. So let's get back on to the mythology of the, the fairies at Yeah, Tom we'll step away from the facts for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of an intriguing fairy story of lost travellers taken away in the night, Jenny. Do you know anything about ah, it? Yes, yes. So fairies like to play strange and twisted games and while they enjoy the whole thing, for us humans it can be fun one minute and disastrous the next. For example, the story I think you're talking of is the fiddlers of Tom Nahura Hill. Yes, this is the one. Please do tell me more. Okay, so there were two fiddlers back in the 1600s who came in from out of town to busk in the middle of Inverness. And they set up and they started busking and they were playing, they were really good, but no one was paying them any attention. And all day they played and they played, each trying to push the other on and get better and better. But at the end of the day, all they had was a few coins and some crumbs and they didn't even have enough to buy a drink, let alone a bed for the night. Dejected and sad and cold, they they picked up all their stuff and started wandering around just to find a tree to sleep under. And as they were just about to cross the river, they see an old man standing on the other side of the bridge. And he walks towards them and he sees their fiddles and he says, You two look like musicians. I have a party that needs some music. Come with me and I'll pay you well. They couldn't believe their luck. They quickly turned around and followed him as he walked away. He was walking unbelievably fast and quickly out of town. And as the houses fell away into the fields, they were striding as fast as they could behind him. And still, he didn't seem to break stride or slow down. Even when they got to the foot of a big hill covered in trees, the man powered straight up it, not even looking back. The two men didn't understand where they were going, but, you know, they'd been promised food, money and a gig, so they were all for it. And up they went after him. 
About halfway up the hill, the man was standing waiting for them and he gestured into the hill. And as they looked in, they saw that the doors were open and inside was the biggest, grandest hall they've ever seen. The ceiling was all done with little gold intricate designs and the walls were covered with um, beautiful paintings and all the all the people were beautiful and chatting and milling and there was food for days and the old man said eat as much as you like and once you've eaten play for us until we tell you to stop and so they stuffed their faces with some of the nicest food they've ever had sat down got out their fiddles and started to play and instantly everyone in the hall started to dance in the most beautiful flowing way they just managed to hit the beat every single time and they kept saying faster and faster and the two fiddlers kept playing faster and faster they'd never had a better gig they'd never played so well and they'd never had so much fun finally after what seemed like hours the old man came back and as he came back he said thank you so much for your playing i'll show you out and i'll pay you guys and so they pack up and they say goodnight to all the people who are dancing. And as they leave the hill, the, the man hands them both a big bag of gold, more than they would ever have earned. It would do them for more than a year. They couldn't believe their luck and without asking any weird questions, they left. And they started walking back to Inverness. They realised that everything was a bit strange. The fields didn't seem to last as long and the houses all looked new and odd and everyone's clothes were funny and everyone, all the people they walked by were sniggering and laughing at them. Eventually they stopped and they asked someone, like, what is, what's going on here? And the lady just snorted and said, I haven't seen people dressed like you since my granddad. They were both really confused and decided to head back to their village, just get out of weird Inverness. It had been a strange night and they were shattered. And they got back to their village and as they got back, eventually they see all these people on their way to church because it's Sabbath. And so they join the crowd to try and, you know, go and get some advice and see what's happening. And there's an old man walking in the crowd and he pulls him aside and he looks them up and down and he says, excuse me, what are, what are your names? And they tell him their names and he, he says, ah, you've been gone a hundred years. And the two of them, they start to laugh and they say, what? And he goes, no, my great grandfather was in your school class. He was your friend. And he would tell me stories of the two of you disappearing and going off and never coming back. The two men ran into the church as the bells were ringing and everyone stared at them. And as the bells chimed, they just burst into dust and were gone just like that. It turns out they'd been gone for a hundred years. And as they crossed into the church, time caught up with them and they turned to dust. That's quite the tale there, Jenny. <laughs> yep, yep, that was a big one. <laughs> and we see a lot of variations of this tale in Gaelic mythology about hills and mountains. I think it's a bit of a cautionary tale about the dangers of strangers, about the dangers <laughs> of partying with the fairies. Mm, that's for sure. And just because people are very good dancers doesn't mean they're not going to turn you to dust. Yeah, that's true. I think it's also probably got something to do with not going into the hills alone at night. You know, it's their dangerous places and people would just disappear and not come back. You know, so it's sort of a cautionary tale about be careful in the mountains. Maybe also nodding to the, the kind of timeless feeling that you get around hills and mountains mm -hmm. in Scotland. Yeah. Because they, they come from such deep time so long ago. Absolutely, and the fairies seem to tie into that very well. However, I've read much more pleasant tales of the fairies of Tomnikurich. I find this story in an old book called Reminiscences of a Clach na Cúdin non One more time? 
Oh, you mean reminiscences of a Klachnakudin non-Egerian. Oh, yeah, so I didn't catch it the first time. <laughs> so that's a 90-year-old from Klachnakudin remembering things, Jenny. Okay. He recalled that the first chase for hire, that's a chase being a single horse-drawn carriage, mm-hmm. in Inverness was around 1760 and belonged to Duncan Robertson, a local farmer and drover. His stable was situated behind the West Church in an ancient barn made of oak, which tradition states was built one night by the fairies of Tomnahurich and was prohibited after nightfall. Ooh, prohibited, you say? That sounds mysterious, because in fact it was rumoured that the fairy queen herself held court on Tomnahurich Hill. So maybe this is where it all happened. Well, it wouldn't be the first party I've been to in a stable, that's for sure, Jenny. Oh, country girls. (laughs) So back in reality, we have some rich and varied history about Tomnahurich, and I found a curious incident involving some Tomnahurich oak. Ooh, I just want to point out, we never left reality, Annie. Fairies are real. (laughs) So, during the Commonwealth period, which is a genuine time period, (laughs) a wee bit of an unusual time for the British Isles. Yes, and this was in the mid-1600s, when the monarchy had been overthrown by the religious Puritan Oliver Cromwell and his men. And the British Isles was being ruled by this sort of weird parliament, which was also known as the Interregnum, and it was like this break where there was no monarchy, essentially. It started with the execution of Charles I in 1649 and ended with his son, Charles II, being restored to the throne in 1660. Everyone was like, can we just forget that 11 years there? That was a bit of an experiment, guys. Didn't work out. Let's just go back to the monarchy as it was. Sorry. <laughs> just let it be. That's, that's almost how it happened, Jenny. <laughs> but yes, for that in-between period of just over a decade, instead of being liberated people were cast into a religious regime, a theocracy. But curiously, Tomnahurich weaves in and out of the story of Cromwell in Scotland. Firstly, after Charles I was executed, Scotland maintained that Charles II was the rightful heir. Thus, Cromwell didn't automatically take power in Scotland. He was going to have to take Scotland by force. Yes. Do you want to read this account? You need to be a loyalist soldier to Charles II. So I'm a Scottish loyalist. Yes, you're a Scottish loyalist to the British monarchy. Got it. King Charles landed in Scotland in June 1650. An instantaneous rising of loyalists took place. Captain Alexander Fraser, son of the last Lord Lovett, came north with a lieutenant colonel commission to embody the Frasers. The general rendezvous was at Tomnahurich, where the clan mustered 800 men in full armour. In the end of April, this body marched through Badenoch to Stirling, where they arrived at the king's camp on the 6th of May. That's a long march from Tomnahurich to Stirling. Yes, but in those days, armies were made for marching. Mm, fair enough. So the Fraser clan started at the base of Tomnahurich and marched south to take part in reinforcing the loyalist armies. We see the battles of Dunbar and Worcester take place, and being outnumbered and making some very poor tactical battle plans means that Scotland falls to Cromwell. God, Scotland's military record is like a broken record, isn't it? <laughs> Just. <laughs> yes, 
and while Cromwell ruled, he had to build forts across Scotland in order to maintain his power. So he built a stronghold in the Highlands, and this was a big fort in Inverness, near the mouth of the Bewley Firth. He built this fort between 1653 and 1658, and this was a pentagonal citadel mm. put up near the harbour using wood taken up from England and scavenged materials from across the Highlands. From beautiful buildings such as Greyfriars Church and St Mary's Chapel in Inverness and monasteries of Bewley in Kinloss. Essentially, Cromwell's men saw these wonderful buildings as just blocks for their fort and took whichever bits they needed, destroying these gorgeous structures in the process and leaving them as ruins. Jeez. But they needed more wood, so they stripped all of the trees from Tomnahurik Hill, especially the oaks. Yo, this would have not pleased the fairies. This did indeed anger the fairies, but don't worry, Jenny, they will get the revenge. Yes. The fort was said to be big enough to house a thousand men, but it did not remain a stronghold for long. When Charles II was restored as king, Cromwell's fort was demolished in 1662 at the request of the Highland chiefs. Yeah. <laughs> There's only a tiny wee clock tower left, out in the middle of what is otherwise an industrial area for the town. It's a strange, tiny little building with a crooked roof that looks more like a drawing than a real structure. Oh, that's so interesting. I run by that all the time. And honestly, there is a plaque. Have not stopped to read it, but I will next time I go by. <laughs> now, Oliver Cromwell had been incredibly pious. Mm. Cromwell had banned a lot of fun things because he thought this would improve people's morals. So anything he thought might tempt people into lives of sin, he simply made illegal. Wow, that sounds miserable. <laughs> it was. Theatres, sports, celebrations were all considered sinning and punishable by very harsh laws. However, after the monarchy restoration, Inverness had a bit of an unusual but rather joyful response, which also involved Tom Nehirich. Jenny, can you be a liberated and delighted Invenesian? On the 24th of May, 1662, the magistrates of Inverness revived an ancient custom of an annual horse race. A prodigious concourse of people attended. The race was run in plain round the hill of Tom Nehurek. Although the prizes were only a silver cup valued at £7 and a saddle at 3 they were thought worthy of the contention of noblemen. Excellent. So there we go. Inverness knocked down Cromwell's fort yeah. and raced their horses round Tomnahurich in celebration. Yeah. Apparently, the races were won by a Lord Lovett and a local bailey. Hey. But I like that the resistance to Cromwell and the celebration of Cromwell's defeat for Inverness began at Tomnahurich. Yeah, it's a very central point to the town by the sounds of it. Indeed. What's also interesting is the idea of a hall inside the mountain that we find in your fairy fiddler story, Jenny, mm. because this isn't the only myth of this type about Tom Nehurek Hill. Now, there's a tale of Fingal, a powerful warrior giant said to be asleep inside Tom Nehurek Hill. 
Now this Fingal is evident in medieval Scottish folklore and we suspect he's borrowed from Irish mythology who have a very similar giant. Fingal sleeps deep within the hill with a huge chain hanging from the ceiling of the cavern where he and his warrior army slumber, each leaning on their left elbow. Their left elbow? That's oddly specific. Are they all just spooning in a circle? <laughs> I guess so, Jenny. It's said that the day a mortal is brave enough to strike the chain three times, that Fingal and his army will rise in defence of the country. Ah, so Tom Nahurik is a giant shelter. So is um, so is Arthur's seat in Edinburgh. That's where it gets its name, because King Arthur is said to sleep beneath a blanket of rock there and will rise once more when the country needs him most. Well, Fingal is said to have a seat near Loch Ness too, so giants are apparently very good at sitting, sleeping, building paths, and then rising up to defend their country. Oh, amazing, because there's also um, Thomas the Rhymer, a famous seer who is also believed to be asleep in Tom Nahurik, with all his men, also ready to rise for the moment of glory. So it might be quite crowded in there, actually. What, with the fairies, Fingal, and Thomas the Rhymer, and all of their respective armies? Yep. Yeah, that's why it's so big. <laughs> so strangely shaped. At least they'll have a great party. Yes, great fiddlers. Good music, I've heard. <laughs> so we went to visit Tom Nahirik on a crisp autumn evening and took a look at some of the graves. We made a zigzag path up the hill and encountered many signs of wildlife, including the previously mentioned Badger's Hole. Fairy Hole. And signs of deer. Yep, they wander around in there as well. And what looked like wee bluebells, though bluebells are out of season. Fairy bells. <laughs> but while we were there, it was really great to stop and read as many graves as we could and try to imagine the lives of the people that lay below. There's a couple of war memorials that are really quite special. There's a monument to the Queen's own Cameron Highlander soldiers who are buried at Tomnahurich, which at the time it was erected was the County Regiment of Inverness. There's 90 First World War graves and 81 Second World War graves. This includes men from Canada, New Zealand, Australia and Poland who contributed to the Allied victories of the First and Second World Wars. There are also four women buried who served in the Second World War Women's Auxiliary Air Force. The war monuments are eerily breathtaking, standing atop Tom Nahurich and looking down over the city of Inverness. Yes, the war monuments are truly striking. And like any graveyard, there are endless stones representing so many lives. And one stood out to me because it had an A4 sheet of laminated paper on a kind of temporary wooden cross instead of a proper gravestone. It was in one of the spots of an older grave, so I was really intrigued. It marked the space for Alexander Mackenzie, who was born on Christmas Day 1833 on his father's croft at Tournaig, which was a wee scattering of crofters' and fishermen's cottages on the west coast of Scotland by the banks of Loch Yew. He had been a ploughman and labourer and herded cattle in the summer. Alexander did a few different, very practical jobs, forestry, work on the new and exciting railways, and then his path deviates from what we might expect. Ooh, does it involve yew trees and fairies? No, Jenny. He left the forestry behind. Oh. 
Alexander Mackenzie moved to England in 1861 to learn drapery and attended Ipswich Working Man's College. Wait, drapery is in like curtains? Uh, drapery as in cloth making. Oh, okay, cool. But whilst in England, he ignited a different passion and became very interested in journalism. He wrote for the London Scotsman and he became a real advocate for the rights of rural Highlanders. He moved to Inverness in 1869 and built on this passion for sharing Highland culture through publishing the Celtic magazine and the Highlander. These were periodicals that encouraged more detailed understanding of Highland history and gave the rural north a louder voice to wield like a weapon. Mackenzie wrote about the histories of the Highland clearances and the clans. He gave an authentic account of Highland history at a time period where elsewhere it was being fluffed up with tartan and stags. Oh, so kind of what we talked about in the Victorian theatre episode um, of Walter Scott sort of romanticising the, the Highlanders. Yes, very much so. Hmm. And Alexander Mackenzie was heavily involved in the Highland Land League. This was a political force which actually got Crofter Party members of Parliament elected. Wow. Leading to the British Parliament reforming the rights of Crofters. That's amazing. He had such a great compassion for people forced to leave the Highlands from the clearances. And his writing often talks of the Highland diaspora around the world with a great affection for people in Canada Mm -hmm. and across the globe. Oh, that's amazing. Yes, and I found an illustration of him when he died in 1898, aged 60 from some kind of liver ailment. Yes, that's a common death in the Highlands. (laughs) Jenny! (laughs) He has crinkly eyes and a big bushy grey beard, and he's dressed very formally. I don't know why, but now... He doesn't even have a proper gravestone. And when I look at his twinkly wee eyes, I feel kind of guilt about this. He's just got a wee sheet of A4 laminated paper, but at least he has one of the best views of Inverness from the top of Tom Nehurich. Let's bring some flowers to his grave, maybe. Yes, I think a thistle (laughs) would be great. Cliche, you mean. (laughs) (laughs) Tomney Hurick is indeed a hill of many names. There are hundreds of names inscribed upon each gravestone and possibly hundreds of fairies living within. Folklorist Reverend Robert Kirk wrote that Highlanders superstitiously believe the souls of their predecessors to dwell in the fairy hills and to say that a mound would be dedicated beside every churchyard to receive the souls till their bodies arise and so become as a fairy hill. Tom Nehurich is such a beautiful place to visit. A very calm graveyard, rich with wildlife. I was expecting this graveyard episode to be a bit more spooky or morbid. I'm disappointed, honestly. <laughs> and it's it's been a strange one to research. It's actually quite surprising that one hill has such a rich history even before any of the bodies were buried there, from inside a glacier to the horse races. I think it's still a bit of a magical place for the people of Inverness, looking over the town, a tree-covered mound of Christian crosses and fairy mythology. Oh, absolutely. I used to live closer to Tom Nehurich in this really awful little place with 
people I did not get along with. And whenever I needed to get out and get space, I'd always go for a run up Tom Nahurik Hill. And this is before I knew any of the mythology or anything, but it always had such a calming effect, just running between the gravestones and stopping and reading the ones that had fallen over and then running to the top of the hill up the old carriage track. It was challenging, but it was always just what I needed. And I know it sounds very um, airy-fairy, but I've always <laughs> felt a real peace on the hill. And learning about its history, the folklore and the fairies has really resonated with me. If there was ever a place for the fairies and giants, it's Tom Nahurik Hill. Oh, that's so true, Jenny. Shall we finish with a wee shortened version of a poem about Tom Nahurik? This was written by David Carey, who was the first editor of the Inverness Journal. Shall we take a line each? Absolutely. Hard by, see, Tom Nahurik rears his form. Like hapless bark upturned by wintry storm. There often at eve while whispering breezes stir. Along his side the gently waving fir. And while the partial moon beams light the green. Let fairy elves their sportive bands convene. Over mead and moor and hill a darker stole. And lull in mystic trance the involuntary soul. Thank you so much for listening to Stories of Scotland. And thank you so much to all the listeners who have reached out to us to let us know how much they're enjoying our wee podcast. It's overwhelming and incredibly touching. Yes, thank you all so much for sending the messages. Annie and I like to see who can read it first and then screenshot it and send it to the other one to make them (laughs) smile throughout the day. It's great. And it does make us smile. It does, it does. So please keep telling your friends and your family. Uh, We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Give us a like, a follow, a share. And why not a cheeky wee five-star review on Apple Podcasts? (laughs) Until next week, Slangeva. Slangeva. Tom Nehurek does have a lovely natural flow to the hill and you can see the Murray Firth from the top so it almost made the sea. Almost, yes, not quite, but who knows, maybe it's slowly (laughs) inching there like a giant caterpillar filled with rocks. (laughs) (laughs) One day it spreads its wings and becomes a butterfly. Tom Nehurik flies away to places where people can't say Tom Nehurik. <laughs>